people, cool things, where we're chatting with entrepreneurs and creatives just doing some great things out there. Today's guest is Joel Hawbaker, an award-winning teacher, author, and speaker, and author of the book, Inverted Leadership, Lead Others Better by Forgetting About Yourself. And Joel is going to give us his entire story from how he hit rock bottom and kind of kind of had an aha moment while in a Walmart from Alabama. So yes, we can make the stereotype. Joel was in a Walmart, had that moment of, hey, I need to fix what's going on in life right now. And how can I change my mindset to turn that around? And so Joel's going to talk about how he turned that aha moment into the best times of his life, which he's living right now. Also training for a marathon. So we're going to be talking about running, even though neither one of us particularly like to do it. It's jam-packed. It's got lots of good stuff. So let's dive right on in. You want to give me the elevator pitch? Riding on an elevator for 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. What you got? How can you impress me? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I work with, uh, I teach young adults how to lead better using what I call courageous humility. And that leadership applies whether you're talking about business, family life, uh, or in, uh, you know, um, anywhere else. So I, I coach soccer and that's a big part of what I do. And so those leadership principles apply at home. They apply in business. They apply on the soccer field, whatever. So that's kind of, that's how I try to help people. Awesome. Did you also play soccer growing up? Mm. I did. I grew up playing soccer and baseball and um, I decided to go with soccer kind of long-term. So I played that in college as well. And as soon as I got done playing in college, I started coaching. So I've been, I've been, I've been around the game of soccer for 34 of my 37 years. Wow. Uh, Playing, coaching, administrating, whatever it may be. Like I've done recruiting for colleges. I've done lots of different things with the game of soccer. And, uh, and so it's been a big, a big shaping factor in my world. Very nice. Yeah, I'm always impressed by soccer players in general because I remember playing it probably until I was five or six, not mm-hmm. not super long, mm-hmm. uh, and just being exhausted just from all the running around <laughs> that has to do. Um, That's so fair. Always kudos, my hat, my hat yeah, off well, to you. I couldn't anymore. How about that? At, <laughs> age, at age 37, um, I play pickup with other old people, and that's about as it's about as much as I've got yeah. left. That's that's um, what we that's what we do yeah. now. Once you hit yeah. your 30s, it's just that's the way to do it. <laughs> Telling you what, yeah. <laughs> But it is, it's fun. It's, it's a game that I love. Like I said, it's had a huge influence on my life. Some of the biggest, um, some of the people who influenced me the most were some of my soccer coaches. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a big part of my story is, is just being around the game of soccer and what it's done for me. And your story, uh, just from the, the brief little snippet that you gave me, seems mm-hmm. very interesting with uh, a lot of ups and downs throughout it. Uh, <laughs> can, you, can you take us through kind of... Uh, before we fully get into your business now, just mm-hmm. what, how did you, how did you end up here? What happened along the way? Yeah. Thank you for asking. I, um, I, I'm glad that you find my story interesting. I enjoy sharing it because I think that there are elements of it that lots of people can identify with. And the reason I like to share it is to try to encourage others who have been through difficult times. Uh, my parents divorced when I was in middle school and this was in the, um, this is in the mid nineties. So it wasn't quite as common then as it is now. Uh, I remember having the conscious thought, oh man, I just became a statistic, right? I just became the kid from the broken home. Um, Fortunately, my parents had a really brilliant divorce. And what I mean by that is they treated each other well. We lived with mom, but dad came and picked us up for uh, for school every day. So he'd pick us up at mom's house and take us to school. So we got to see both of our parents all the time. That was helpful. We still celebrated Thanksgiving together. So at Thanksgiving, you'd have mom and dad and then about a year after they got divorced, you have mom's boyfriend who would come over as well. I still call my stepdad. And they all got along really well. 
And I didn't know how unusual that was until I graduated high school, went to college. And you know, you're in college, you're swapping stories, where you're from, what's your family like. And I would tell people about my parents' divorce and my stepdad and Thanksgiving and people would go, I'm sorry, what? Who all was there? <laughs> and, and that was when it really hit home to me. Man, my parents' divorce was weird, right? But I was always really thankful for that. And then um, I got married for the first time when I was 19. Uh, so halfway through college, it was after my sophomore year. And that lady and I had two kids together. We were married for eight and a half years. Uh, my first daughter was born actually two weeks after uh, I graduated from college. So my entire senior year of college, I was um, I had stopped playing soccer after we got married because I thought if I'm gonna if I'm gonna get married, I need to be also working hard to pay the bills, not continuing to just play a game of soccer for two or three or more years before I graduate. So I um, I draw you know I stopped playing soccer. I started coaching. I started I got a full time job waiting tables and bartending. I did some part time jobs around the college. So my first daughter, my entire senior year, my, my wife at the time was pregnant with our first kid, and my entire senior year was just praying, dear Lord, please let me graduate first, because I've got to be able to get this, I got to get this degree, I've got to get a job so I can take care of my family. And, uh, and she, she waited long enough, she was born on her due date two weeks after I graduated, praise the Lord for that. Um, had a second daughter a couple years later, but the same week that um, my second daughter was born was the week that we found out my dad had terminal cancer. Um, he was a, a Vietnam vet. He had been drafted right after he graduated college, spent 18 months getting shot at in Vietnam, came home with three bronze stars, and despite that, decided that he liked the military. <laughs> and, I know. I don't know. He, um, he spent 20 years in the Army. He was a Ranger. He was an 82nd Airborne. Like I said, he had three bronze stars. Um, he did all kinds of, uh, all kinds of stuff, and um, most of that was before I was born. But the, the week that we found out um, – like I said, my younger daughter was born. That was the same week we found out dad was sick. Uh, and, and we believe it was one of those cancers that's tied to the Agent Orange that came up in Vietnam. There wasn't a whole lot he could do about it. He went through chemo. He did radiation. He did a stem cell transplant. And uh, he lasted about a year and a half, which is about the time frame the doctors gave him when they, when they diagnosed him. And after dad died, uh, things went downhill pretty quickly. Uh, about a year and a half later, my marriage was falling apart. Uh, went through uh, a divorce. Um, my ex-wife then uh, had our daughters most of the time. I got to see them every few days, maybe maybe once or twice a week. And um, that lasted for a few years until our custody situation changed. Um, after the divorce, um, I had become a school teacher when I graduated college. That's what I did as most of, for most of my adult life. I was a high school teacher and a soccer coach. Uh, but after I went through divorce, I got out of teaching for a couple of years. I did a bunch of other jobs. I worked as a an insurance salesman, a financial planner, a firefighter, a construction worker. Um, I did a whole bunch of different things and, and hated all of them, um, but none of them paid enough money to, co to cover both my bills and my child support. So I, I ended up losing the house that I had bought for my wife and I, my first wife and I. So I went through bankruptcy and foreclosure um, after the divorce. And so within a very, you know, within a two or three year period, uh, lost my dad, lost my home, lost my family, changed my job. Um, and it was, it was rock bottom. Um, and I remember being confronted with the fact that I had kind of, I had a choice to make. And the choice was, am I going to continue to blame my ex-wife or just life for being unfair? Or am I going to accept responsibility and try to move forward? And uh, what I realized in that moment is, as long as I was blaming somebody else, nothing was ever going to change because it's too easy to make life into an excuse and just say, well, if things were different, but that the problem with that, it is it, it, it disempowering. It is it takes the ability away from myself to change my situation. And, uh, and so in that, in that moment, I was very thankful. Uh, I feel like God really gave me that choice and allowed me to choose 
to take responsibility, which then allowed me to start changing where I was. Um, so I spent two years not teaching. Um, I then got back into the classroom teaching again. Um, I am now remarried. I've been remarried for um, five and a half years. The divorce was about 10 years ago. Um, so my wife and I have been married for uh, five and a half years. We don't have any kids together. We're not planning on having any more. My ex-wife has been remarried for about the same length of time. Um, she has another child with her second husband. She, they've got a little toddler son together. So my girls have a, a little brother. Uh, my wife and I have two dogs that we love very much. They're our, our rescue dogs, we, uh, Butterscotch and Bruiser. Um, a total of 120 pounds of crazy rescue <laughs> dog. Um, and honestly, like life has never been better. Uh, and it's a, it's an, it's an amazing, um, it's an amazing feeling to look back 10 years at, uh, at age 27 and think, I just don't know how this could get much worse. <laughs> and to look around now and think, I'm not really sure how much better I could be doing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I'm so I'm really thankful for that. Uh, God really used my church. He used my family. And he, he used those things to change who I am. He used those things to change um, the way that I relate to other people uh, by showing me that I'm, I'm the one responsible. And so that's something that has really, um, that's become a big theme of the second part of my adult life, the post-divorce adult life, which is take responsibility and then make the best of things that you can. And I'm really thankful for that. And so that's a large part of who I am and why I try to do what I do. Um, I hope that wasn't too much for your listeners to sit through. I appreciate you guys. Let me share that with you, but uh, that that's a large part of my story. Hopefully those things will help you understand the rest of what we're going to talk about and why I'm so passionate about it. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I don't think it was, was too much. I enjoyed that. I thought that was, <laughs> I think it's good to, to see. Yeah. Like you were saying a decade ago, can things get any worse? And now mm-hmm. in a much better place overall. And yeah, I'd kind of like to, again, to, to look at the second half of your adult life. I like, Certainly. I like how you put it, your second career. Um, <laughs> of, so like, when did you have that kind of aha moment? Or did you after mm-hmm. you realized, hey, I, you know, I can take responsibility for this. Was there a first sort of uh, event that happened or a speaking <laughs> engagement where you were like, okay, this is, this is the right thing. And yeah, I'm, I'm no. going down this path. It's funny. I wasn't actually speaking then, but I do remember one moment and this, this is terrible. Um, <laughs> it's just embarrassing. So the, the moment for me when I realized I needed to make a change actually, and I'm from Alabama, so you guys can laugh at me for this stereotype. Feel free. I was in a Walmart and <laughs> um, I'm not even kidding. I was in a Walmart and I'm walking around and after it's after my divorce and I've just, I've just let myself go. I'm eating junk food all the time. I'm putting on weight. Haven't really cared because I'm not married anymore and I'm not trying to impress anybody because I'm just feeling miserable and sorry for myself. I'm walking through Walmart and I think I should step on a scale and see how heavy I've gotten. Okay. And you can't tell we're seated in this interview. You can't see me, but if I were to stand up, you wouldn't see much difference. I am five foot three inches tall. So (laughs) not very much bigger than a hobbit. Okay. So not, not a real big dude. And so I'm walking and and my, when I got married for the first time, I was like 140 pounds. Uh, That was about my college playing weight for soccer, 135, 140. So I'm still five foot three, but now I've gotten a little heavier. I step on a scale at Walmart. It says 193 pounds. And I thought that scale's got to be broken. (laughs) Like, Are you kidding me? And so I stepped on a second scale, hundred things, same thing, 193 pounds. I thought, how are two scales broken? This can't (laughs) be right. So I stepped on a third scale. It was in that moment when I thought, okay, not only do we have a problem because we've gotten fat, we have a problem because we're in self-denial. <laughs> we just refuse to see the reality that we are confronted with, right? And in that moment, I thought, okay, if I, am, if I am so blind that I cannot even acknowledge that I've gotten this heavy, what else am I not 
seeing that is in fact reality? What else am I in denial about? And I realized I need to start making some changes. I need to start eating better. need to start exercising. Um, it's, I, it's interesting. That's actually how I started um, spending time with my now wife. Uh, she was in college at the time. And um, she was a, a mutual friend through, or she was, um, I knew her, I'd known her family for years, but we had a mutual friend that sort of reconnected us. And um, I was talking with her in the spring of, uh, I forget what year it was now, but I, I just contacted her. And I said, Hey, I am, um, I am overweight and I need to do something about it. She said, well, Hey, I'll be home from college in a couple of weeks. Would you like to get up early and work out? Cause at the time I was working at a, um, I was working at a sporting goods manufacturing company in the shipping department. So what I'm doing is basically I'm in charge of packaging stuff and sending it out via UPS or whatever. I'd be at work at 7:30 every morning. So I said, okay, sure. I mean, attractive college female wants to get together and work out early in the morning. Like who's going to say no to that? That sounds like a good idea. It's very shallow. Guilty as charged. Okay. <laughs> and so we got together every morning uh, at about five o'clock in the morning and we would run five or six miles a day, five days a week at the local YMCA. And I dropped about 40 or 45 pounds in three and a half months. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I looked better. I felt better. And then she went back to college and I made the big mistake of dating someone else for, for about a year. And that went very poorly indeed. <laughs> um, that girl and I broke up and then my now wife and I started dating and, and we've been together ever since. But I'm telling you that, that moment in the Walmart when I stepped on a scale and thought, mm, this scale must be broken. <laughs> like, that's, that sounds like a bad joke, but it is the honest to God truth. And I just remember thinking, okay, you, this is ridiculous. You've got to do something else. You've got to change what you're doing. If, if you are so broken right now that you refuse to accept that you're a fat guy in Walmart, you got to fix that. That will not do. You know what I mean? So that was the, that was the moment that, that was the aha, like you got to do something different kind of a moment. That's a terrific story. Uh, <laughs> and, and perhaps my, uh, my brain is a little clouded uh, by the influx of Girl Scout cookies that have seemingly come in in the last week or two. But that'll, did you have a happen. particular vice of, uh, of choice back then? Absolutely. It remains my choice to this day. And that is uh, buffalo wings, hot wings. Ah, right. uh, there's a restaurant down here in the Southeast called Jefferson's. If you're ever down this way, have yourself some buffalo, some Jefferson's buffalo wings. They're wonderful, but they'll make you fat. <laughs> so, just you can't eat buffalo wings four days a week and not get fat. I'm just saying. That's yeah. I think that's a good. It was a little that. excessive. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? I, do? I do enjoy some good buffalo wings. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, will, I will jot Jefferson's down. We're gonna make it I'm, out there. <laughs> you should. It's real good. They're real good. Awesome, awesome. And so you you're on the scale. Yep. You're like I got I got to change stuff. Yep. I. I think the, the running is a good sort of reminder of kind of building a habit and having mm -hmm. something that you're consistently doing yeah. to reach a goal. And how have you kind of continued that throughout your, your career, both as a, a history teacher and uh, a speaker? So the, the big part of that is, like you mentioned, the, the big word is consistency. That's one of the main themes that I talk about when I speak. Uh, because as you mentioned, like that's got to, if you're going to be successful at anything, you have to be consistent about it. Now, consistent doesn't necessarily have to mean every single day. I certainly don't run every single day. We still run some. In fact, my wife and I are training for a half marathon right now. Uh, oh, not, nice. my, not my decision. <laughs> um, I'm glad that we're doing it, but I, it's not anything I would have, not anything I would have chosen. Um, but you know, it's something that, um, like you mentioned, it's a, it's a discipline that you've got to have. It's something that you've got to do consistently. And so same thing in the classroom, uh, as a high school, this is my 14th year as a high school history and Bible teacher. And one of the things that I love doing is encouraging students just to read consistently. 
I don't care what you, if you love baseball, great. Read books and sports articles about baseball. If, if you love fishing, again, I teach down here in you know, rural Alabama. If you love fishing and hunting, great. Read books and magazines about fishing and hunting. I don't care what you're reading, but get off a screen and, and, and find a book or a magazine. Read something that, that's going to help you become better at whatever it is that you love to do. Like that's um, in the book that I wrote about leadership. That's how I define leadership. Leadership is positively influencing other people to help them become better versions of themselves. If we as leaders are doing that consistently, th then we are going to be creating a better situation where we are. So for me in the classroom, that means encouraging my students to read and to think critically. Even if they don't agree with me, at least, you're, at least you know why you don't agree with me. It's not just blind, ignorant, arguing for the sake of arguing. Um, and the same kind of thing when I'm, when I'm speaking from a stage, I want to encourage whoever's in the audience to look at what it is that you want to accomplish. And then you obviously you got to chart out how you're going to get there and you got to pursue it consistently, right? You've got to, you got to get after it, whether it's every day or every other day or two days a week, start somewhere and then build your way up, right? I mentioned we're training for a half marathon. That doesn't mean that we went from, I haven't run in six months to let's run 10 miles this weekend. Like that, oh, that, that, sounds, that sounds like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, it sounds terrible, doesn't it? Um, so we started with two miles and then we went up to a 5K and then we ran last week, we ran like five miles. And so this, this weekend we're supposed to run five or six miles. And then in about another six weeks, we'll have bumped up our mileage to where we can do a half marathon. But it started with two miles, right? Because then we're going to build our way up consistently. And so again, we're running from the stage, in the classroom, in your business, you got to know what your goals are. And then you got to know how you're going to pursue them. And then you've got to do it with some level of consistency to see the results that you want to see. That marathon uh, reminded me, I ran a marathon 10 years ago. Oof, I, God bless you. City's marathon. Great experience. Great experience. I probably don't need to do it again. But yeah, I remember <laughs> the, uh, the consistent starting off, I think it was three miles at the start. And I was like, oh, this is kind of rough. And then I was just looking ahead. Uh, Hal Higdon, shout mm -hmm. out to, to his training uh, session. I was just looking. There were 20 milers towards the end. And I remember telling someone, uh, like, I was like, yeah, you cap out at 20 miles. And someone else asked, well, why, why wouldn't you ever, like, do the marathon distance right. so you know you can do it? And then someone else was like, because then you wouldn't run the marathon. You'd be like, well, That's I just exactly ran a marathon. I'm right. not going to do it again. And I was like, oh. oh. I love that you mentioned that because, yeah, we found the same thing in our training that we've got. We've got a sort of training schedule. And the most you ever run is 10 or 11 miles. And it's the same kind of thing. Like, if you can run 11, you can run 13. Like, you know what I mean? Like you just, if, if you can do 11 and you haven't died yet, you could do two more. Okay. But exactly. what you just said is exactly right. If, if you run the training, if you run the marathon in training, you're not going to do it again the day of you've already done it. Like, why would you ever do that? <laughs> yeah. I will say training for a marathon made the first half of that marathon very easy. <laughs> I was just, <laughs> this is the and then I'm like, oh, wait, I still have 13 miles to go. Oof, I don't know that I will ever reach a full marathon. I, I, it never would have occurred to me to run a half marathon. My wife really wants to, and I like my wife. And so I said, yes, lady, let's do that. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> because she, she was going to do it on her own, to her credit. Like, she just wants to run one. But I thought, if you want to do this, I would love to help you do this. So let's do this together. So that's what we're going to do. Um, I don't know that I would say the same thing about a whole marathon. That's a lot of steps. Like at five foot three, my stride's not that long. That is so very many steps. Yeah. I will. I, will <laughs> I don't want to do that. By saying this was like right after I graduated college and a friend. Okay, nice. Doing it. And I was, yeah, I was still looking for a job. So I had mm -hmm. like time to train during the day. Yep. Yep. And it was just a lot of uh, circumstances coming together to, to work out. You got it done. And, and for the rest of your life, you can say, yep, I ran a marathon.
Yes, and I that's still have awesome. a medal you, somewhere. Yeah, you should. I would. I would hang that joker somewhere yeah. in the den or whatever. Like I did this. You'll never believe it today by looking at me, but I did. That. <laughs> that's that's what I'm gonna do with the half marathon though. It's gonna be great. I was once fast. I had that. <laughs> I tell my high school kids that I used to fast. I used to be able to jump. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it to look at me now. But <laughs> so, you know, what do you do? Oh, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, I wanted to go back to, to something that you mentioned about at the start of having your goals and kind of mm-hmm. mapping them out so you know mm-hmm. what you're working to achieve. Do you have a sort of process for that that you recommend to others or that's worked well for you? I know some people like vision boards. Some people are real into like mm-hmm. Trello, getting everything written down. Uh, what's worked best for you? Uh, it's interesting. You mentioned a couple of those things. Um, my wife and I just had a conversation a couple of nights ago about a vision board. She wants to do one for her uh, personal life and, and also for her career goals, which we're excited about. Uh, I like to sit down and figure out what the goal is and when I want to have it accomplished by and then kind of reverse engineer the schedule to get there. So while she was doing her vision board planning, I sat down and I mapped out three or four different big projects that I have going on. So right now I'm writing a, uh, a book for blended family life and I'm writing a 31 day devotional for blended families and I'm putting together an online course, uh, a video course for blended families to go along with my blended family coaching. And when I look at those things as a group, I just think, oh, that's so much work. I'm never going to get that done. <laughs> It's just I'm because I'm never going to sit down and go, I'm going to work for nine hours and, and get it. No. So what I did is I broke it into very manageable chunks. So um, the other night I outlined the first 10 days of the 31 day devotional. And so my next thing is I'm going to outline five more days. And then this week and I'm going to outline five more days. And then over the next four or five days, I'll have the rest of it. I'll have the whole thing outlined. Right. The blended family book I outlined. I got it all outlined during my Christmas break from school. And so then what I'm going to start doing is I'm just going to write one chapter every, every week or so. And then, you know, over the course of the next few months, then I'll have the thing done um, or at least the rough draft done. And so the, the process that works for me is to figure out what my goals are and then break it into manageable chunks to figure out when I can have those things accomplished. Um, and then as long as I'm meeting those goals consistently, as long as I'm working on it when I'm scheduled to, there's no reason I can't have it done by a certain date. Um, one of the things that I, uh, I recommend is a book by John Acuff, last year's book. I think it's called Finish. Um, if you guys, if, if you're, some of your members of your audience, I'm sure, probably have it or have seen it. Uh, I strongly recommend that. That's really good stuff. Um, and he also has like a, a planning board that you can buy that, that, you know, it's a big calendar that he keeps on his wall or whatever, same kind of thing. But that's the way that I do it is I like to map my goals out, put them on a calendar, and then have either a daily or a weekly checklist of, okay, as long as I'm doing this, I'm getting closer to my goal. Right. And so that way I know that something is getting accomplished. Uh, I was just talking to my history students today. One of the quotes from Ben Franklin, where he says, don't confuse action with accomplishment. Right. Or something along those lines. You can be busy and not be productive. And so what I want to do is make sure that if I'm if I'm going to sit down and do some work, it needs to be work that is aimed at a specific end instead of just sitting down and working. So if I'm going to sit down, I need to, okay, I'm going to research 10 potential speaking gigs where I want to reach out to an event planner. Well, that's something concrete that I can go ahead and get done. If I just sit down and say, I think I want to work on my book a little bit. Within five minutes, I'm not working on my book. I'm checking out soccer highlights on ESPNFC.com. That's what I'm looking at. I'm looking up Manchester United or I'm looking up Duke basketball. You know, I'm I'm distracting myself because I didn't have a specific task. So I like to map my tasks out and that way I make sure I'm getting done with what I need to. I like that. Yeah, I've, I've definitely had days where it'll, you know, it'll be five o'clock and I'm like, I, 
I was doing things today, but what did I get done? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the books I'm reading right now is uh, Rise and Grind, again, which is one I'm sure that a lot of your audience is familiar with. Um, and I really, uh, it's uh, Draymond John, I think, is the guy uh, who wrote one, the Shark Tank guy. Yeah. And uh, he also wrote Power of Broke, which I haven't read yet, but I'm looking forward to. And one of the things he mentions in Rise and Grind is something that his mom used to say all the time, where she said, listen, the time is going to pass either way. So you may as well make it productive. And I've heard that in my head over and over ever since I started reading that book because it's exactly right. We all have, and you've heard it before, it's a cliche. Everybody has the same 24 hours every day. But just because it's a cliche doesn't make it any less true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so the question is, what are we doing with that time? If I have my tasks mapped out and I have a certain checklist that I'm going to follow, then I know I'm getting my work done. If I just sit down and I go, um, I'll probably get something done. I'm not going to get any, I'm going to get distracted by Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm going to get distracted by watching a soccer game or go back and reread a J.R.R. Tolkien novel or something that's not actually work, but it's going to pass the time and distract me. So I got to have my tasks laid out. I like that. I like that. And I want to uh, dive a little bit into uh, your speaking career now as well, mm -hmm. because I think it's such a an impactful medium and i also love reading mm -hmm. but there's definitely some things you'll get i mean there's some things you'll get from reading that you won't get from a speech but there's something right. of hearing someone tell mm -hmm. a story like you're doing this episode that wouldn't necessarily jump off on a you know a book page like that right and so how did you first decide hey speaking something i want to do how did you get into it mm -hmm. and how has it gone since then <laughs> Yeah, I love I love uh, being in front of people. I've always enjoyed being on a stage when I was in high school. Uh, in addition to being an athlete, I was also in the choir and I played in the band for a while and I was uh, part of our school's drama team. And so I was in, you know, I was in a play and a musical and whatever. So I've always enjoyed being in front of people. And then a natural extension of that was being a high school teacher because I'm in front of people every day. And uh, as a history teacher, like honestly, most of what I do all day is I tell stories and it's fun. Because a lot of people will say they don't like history. And I would argue that's because it was taught to you poorly. If history is taught to you well, what's happening is you're hearing stories every day and you're learning how those stories have helped the world become the way that it is. That's fascinating. Everybody loves stories. Why do, why do we think that some of the greatest uh, movies that people know, the best selling ticket kind of sales movies, they're comic book movies. Is because they tell great stories that entertain us. Well, that's what history is. And so uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were talking and I was thinking about, um, you know, one of the reasons I love teaching is trying to help students become better people. And we were asking the question, okay, so how can I, how can I do that same thing in a different way? What's a different medium where I could use the skill set that I have to impact people positively? And the, the, you know, the immediate obvious answer was talk to other people, get on a stage. And so that was kind of how I started getting into professional speaking. I called up a buddy of mine who is a youth pastor at a local church. And I said, hey, would you, would you let me come and speak with your youth group so on a Wednesday night? He said, man, we would love to have you come do that. I said, okay, great. Thank you very much. Is there a specific topic you want me to talk about? Or is there something you want me to pick? He goes, you pick. I trust you. I said, okay, great. So I came and I talked with his youth group about the power of humility. And I had a great time. It was so much fun. I came home and told my wife, I said, yes, this is something that I want to do a lot more of. 
And so I started off doing a whole lot of free gigs, right? I talked with local Lions clubs and Rotary clubs and Kiwanis clubs, and I've spoken at local high schools, and I've spoken at local universities and community colleges, and I've spoken at other churches. And, and now it's been two or three years, and I've spoken at national conferences, and I've spoken at church retreats, and I've spoken at corporate leadership events, and and I've spoken at all these different venues, and it's a lot of fun. Some are big and some are tiny. Some are to, you know, business leaders, and some are to high school and middle school kids. And each different venue or event presents its own unique challenges. Um, one thing that I really love to tell event planners when I'm, when I'm talking about um, a potential gig is I tell them, listen, there is no tougher audience in the world than a group of jaded, cynical 14 and 15-year-olds <laughs> on a rainy Monday morning. I'm, I'm just telling you, there's no harder audience than a group of 25 high school freshmen that do not care about world history. If I can get them excited and interested and engaged, I'm not going to have a whole lot of trouble with an audience that's already paying to, to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and there's, a, you know, I really believe there's a lot of truth in that. Um, and so I love, I love getting to be in front of people because I love to try to share stories that are going to inspire them or encourage them or inform them or help them to grow or help them to see the world differently, to challenge their perceptions, to invite them on a journey of growth to where they are now becoming better at whatever it is they want to be better at. That's something that I really love to do. It's something I feel very privileged to do. Uh, I do a lot of teaching, a lot of speaking, a lot of writing, a lot of coaching. Those are four things that if I never got paid for them, I would still want to do them. The fact that I get paid to do those things, that's just a huge blessing. Um, so I do, I, I, feel, I feel very blessed indeed to get to do things that I would do for fun. Nice, yeah, that's, that does make, a, does make it even easier. It does. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's certain, and, you know, no knock on people who like these jobs, but all of these things I do today, they're so much more fun than every other job I've ever had. I got, again, uh, firefighting, construction working, uh, pizza delivery, bartending, insurance sales, like those are good and necessary jobs. I don't, I didn't like any of them. I didn't like it. So God bless the people who do those jobs, just like teaching elementary school. Oh, oh, teaching <laughs> elementary school. Oh, not enough money in the world for me to do that. No way. So uh, I, I love to do, I love getting to do these things that I love. I feel very privileged to get to do what I would do anyway. And, uh, and so that's something that I encourage, you know, your listeners to look for. Um, if you can find a job that aligns with something you already love, man, that's a great day. And if you can, if you can, you know, if you're interested in one day being an entrepreneur, if you can start a business based around something that you love, if you can find someone to pay you to do what you would do for free. And that's a great day. So, uh, you know, those are, those are things I feel lucky to do. And I think that that's a good segue into our top three, which I astute listeners know that I always like to end with a top three. I was going okay. to ask your top three book recommendations, but you've been dropping them throughout the episode. <laughs> so we're going to do a little audit. <laughs> okay. And, uh, I'd love to hear, uh, and you can, you can keep them brief because I know they can get uh, real in depth with these historical <laughs> stories, but I'd love to hear your top three moments or stories of history that you mm. like. Okay. Oh, those are, so those are good ones. Okay. So in no particular order, uh, because they, it depends on who I'm talking to as to which one I love the most. Um, one is I love talking about Napoleon Bonaparte. He is fascinating to me <laughs> and not just because he was a little guy who conquered most of Europe. Um, 
Napoleon is fascinating. He is quite literally either one of the greatest conquerors ever or the stuff of nightmares, right? <laughs> because his nickname from the British was they called him Old Boney and then Old Bogey and then the Bogeyman. And so every little kid has been afraid of the Boogeyman. You're actually <laughs> afraid of Napoleon. You just didn't know it yet, right? And high school kids go, what? I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. You're afraid of a guy who died 200 years ago, but it's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, and that kind of, so I love Napoleon. Um, number, number two, um, I love studying um, modern Germany and modern Russia. That is uh, basically from 1800 forward, because I would argue that the three countries who have shaped the world the most in the last 150 to 200 years, Germany, Russia, United States. And so I love studying those places. I love studying uh, Otto von Bismarck from Prussia before it became Germany or um, uh, the czars of Russia. Like that's a fascinating time period. Um, and then uh, number three, I love studying Elizabeth I. Um, the, uh, the queen of England, she was, she was, I mean, she was awesome. Right? <laughs> Fought off the Spanish Armada, established England as a Protestant power in Europe, um, survived two dozen assassination attempts by people that didn't like her. Like this lady was awesome. Um, so I love studying those things, uh, as well. You know, I love classical history. I love, um, uh, medieval civilizations, the crusades, like any of those things I really, really love, but Napoleon, modern Germany and Russia and Elizabeth the first, those are, those are definitely probably my top three or at least three of my top ones. Excellent. Well, it looks like we got some reading to do. <laughs> we can learn all about it. Can I, can I ask a bonus? Do you have Please. a favorite president? That's a really difficult one to answer. Yeah. Um, Ideally from before you were born. Cause I think that's more interesting. <laughs> it's also less dangerous to share one from before we were born, isn't it? Um, without trying to step on anybody's toes politically here. Um, just how about this in terms of, just being a fascinating character to study in history. There are two presidents that immediately come to mind. Okay. One of them is Teddy Roosevelt. Boom. <laughs> right. And the other one is Andrew Jackson. Um, because those guys just as human beings were fascinating. They broke the mold in so many ways. And, uh, and I also think that they were very interesting presidents. Again, I don't want to use terms like good or bad because you have to, what do you mean by good? Were they good economically? Were they good morally? Were they good uh, fiscally? Were they good in terms of foreign relations? Like those are, those, those terms are not good to use when evaluate, were they a good person or a bad person? There's, I don't know. <laughs> But I love those two presidents. So Andrew Jackson, Teddy Roosevelt. Excellent. Excellent choices. I feel like they're both uh, <laughs> the closest we've had to like a Walker, Texas Ranger president. I would agree with that. Yeah. And, and I, would, I would put Eisenhower in kind of the same category based on his work in World War II. Um, got to gotta like Ike because the, you know, if nothing else, interstates, like way to go. That's good. Appreciate that one. <laughs> I'm proud of him. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Eisenhower Expressway growing up in, in Chicago. It's yep. just on it all the time. It's great. Nice. That's good. Awesome. Well, Joel, thank you so much for hopping on. If people want to find out more about you, want some book recommendations, want, mm -hmm. uh, want to book you as a speaker, where can <laughs> they find you? Thank you very much for asking. And I appreciate you having me on, Joey. I've had a great time with you. Um, so if people want to connect with me, I would love to hear from any of your audience members. You can find me at, um, I've got three different places online. You can find me at my, my speaker website is joelwhawbaker.com. It's just my name and my middle initial. Um, you can find my leadership stuff at reallifeleading.com. You can find a lot of my blended family stuff at a place called stepdadding with an ing, stepdadding.com. You can also find me on social media. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. It's all under my name, Joel W. Hallbaker. I would love to chat with your audience about anything, any questions they got. Um, I'd love to talk J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. 
I'd love to talk John Grisham and, um, you know, James Patterson novels with, with people. I'd love to talk Tom Clancy. Um, you know, I, I'm an open book. So anybody that wants to talk about anything, give me a call, give me an email. Let's chat and hang out. That'd be great. Awesome. Love it. Lots to talk about. Always a good time. Well, Joel, thank you so much for joining. I, I, I usually end these episodes with a joke. Nice. Good. My daughter wrote me a book of dad jokes for my birthday. It was best, one of the best presents ever. So let's, yeah, let's hear your, it was good. It was gold. It was good. It was a good present. Uh, well, since we've both got uh, facial hair, I think this, this is a fitting one (laughs) where I, I didn't like my beard at first. Uh huh. Grew on me. (laughs) Yeah. That's the, that's like the old dad joke. So says, Oh, did you get your hair cut? No, I got them all cut. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. We, hey, we never said they're good. They're That's just, right. That's just right. Checks. <laughs> That's excellent. All right. Get after it today, people.